Today's episode is brought to you by Green Mountain Dental Group. They're in Lakewood, and they're one of the best family-owned dentists in the metro area. Plus, they're extreme Colorado sports fans, just like all of us. When you schedule a cleaning, x-ray, and exam, you'll receive a free Sonicare toothbrush straight from Green Mountain Dental Group. Just be sure to tweet about them when you head on down there. Just 15 minutes from downtown. Super easy to get to on the west side of Denver. So check them out today and again. Schedule that cleaning, x-ray, and exam for a free Sonicare toothbrush. And Cole gets another good righty and another right by Cole. A left by Cole this time. Tipped in front by Mika Rentinen. He shoots and scars. Nathan McKinnon. Cole J.T. Comfer. 877 goals now. Gabriel Landeskog. Collective hugs. 29 and 92. Save me by Grubauer. Move over, Picasso. This piece of art is by McKinnon. My goodness gracious. Welcome in to the DNVR Avalanche podcast presented by Davidson's Beer, Wine, and Spirits, my go-to shop for Breckenridge Brewery or any other alcohol that I might need. I'm Nathan Rudolph. Joining me as always is AJ Hayfley, and we have another special guest on today, the man who does cover the Anaheim Ducks for the fourth period, as well as you can find him on the Crash the Pond podcast and sometimes over at Elite Prospects as well, working all over the place. Felix Sicard, might I just add, that is an S-tier hat, my friend. Absolutely love it. Thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs> can never go wrong with a, with a Mighty Ducks hat. So off to a great start already, but I guess... First of all, if you want to start with how you got into the business of hockey or, or why you fell in love with the game or, or however you ended up where you are, we can always start there. Oh, man, we're, we're going all the way back. Yeah, way now. back, way back. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, so I'm originally from Montreal and grew up in California, moved out here when I was a young, a young kid and just parents were into it and kind of just transferred over, played hockey growing up and then went to school around the Anaheim area for college and I always loved writing. And so I just started covering the the local team just through different sites, different blogs, grew up a Canadians fan, but we just kind of started covering the ducks and got really involved into that. And that's, that's a very uh, distilled version, but that's the backstory <laughs> to make a long story short. Well done. Very succinct. I appreciate <laughs> it. We'll get to your ducks in a minute. But I did want to start, I wanted to get your perspective on the upcoming NHL playoff formatting tournament as someone who's covering a team that won't be in it. What do you think of it? Do you think it's a good thing? What can be improved? Things like that. Well, I actually really like the format because I think that they, if you grade it on this, on the curve of trying to please everybody, I think they did a good job of trying to account for the teams who were kind of on that borderline, maybe trying to get in some other markets as well that need a little playoff push and also keeping it fair to the playoff teams that were already in. So I like it. The play in round is going to be awesome if it actually ends up happening. So I'm I'm all I'm all in. I, I just want sports at this point. I, I used to be kind of more of a stickler and nitpicking the format. And now we're three months into this quarantine and I just 
I want hockey on TV. So just give it to me. I feel that in my bones. <laughs> <laughs> Take any hockey, any way, shape, or form at this point. Um, yeah, I, I guess the next question becomes, well, they were Ducks were pretty far out of it. We talked about this a little bit before the show, but do you think there would have been any chance for them to get in had they played out the rest of the season? They were playing a little better after the trade deadline where they traded, it felt like half the roster. So, but not, but not for picks or prospects, just for these weird kind of one for one moves. They just seem to love to make. So maybe they would have gotten in, but if you're, if you're out of it that late into the season and you can't get in within a 24 team format, I think it's okay if, if you don't get in, you know, I'm okay with that. But to your question about, you know, as a, someone who covers the team, it is a little challenging because we have no idea when we'll see them play again. And so for just kind of keeping the content train going of what to write about, I mean, there's the draft lottery coming up next week, but it's going to be tough because for the, t- for the fans of those teams that are out of it, there's not going to be a whole lot to talk about for the next few months. Yeah. You guys are, I mean, with the rumors about next season potentially starting as late as January, I mean, sure, you'll have free agency things, but that's another six months of a whole lot of nothing, basically. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be rough. Yeah, (laughs) it's almost like a lockout because it will be like nine months if they start in January. It's nine months between games. Between the time they're actually on the ice again, it's it's insane. It's probably going to, I don't know if it'll be January, but it's, it feels like it, that's when it's going to be. So yeah, nine months, <laughs> a long time. Yeah. It's uh you mentioned those one-to-one trades. We actually talked about Sonny Milano uh, on, on our show, just about the ads earlier. Um, how do you think they did at the deadline making a, I mean, it really was like a smorgasbord of really weird, like one for one deals. <laughs> yeah. Well, I personally, so me looking at those trades, I didn't think that any of them were necessarily bad trades. If you look at the individual trade, mm-hmm. some of them made maybe more sense than others, but they just didn't. The problem is they didn't really amount to anything as far as this team getting further along and like the rebuild, for example, getting more prospects or picks. It was a lot of just kind of shuffling the deck chairs. There wasn't really a clear direction the only trade where you can say that they really did that was the Andre Kasha trade to Boston where they managed to get a first round pick from the Bruins but it's really unclear what where that first round pick actually comes from in the value equation because they had to take on David Backus and they're sending a player in Kasha who has 30 goal potential so that's not that great of a trade when you think about it so overall the deadline it's just kind of meh. I mean, it made it it made it more interesting for the team down the stretch just to have new players to look at. But it, I'm not really sure if it made them that much better in the long run. It just kind of moved the pieces around. Not a big Axel Anderson fan. <laughs> Is Axel Anderson a big Axel Anderson fan? I mean, I I don't know much <laughs> about the guy, and all the reports are he could he could be maybe a sixth defenseman. You know, we'll see. So yeah, I'm not I'm not super high on on that that trade, but hey, you never know if that first round pick becomes a stud, then it's all it's all put to bed. But with a thirtieth or thirty first pick, I kind of doubt it. Well, yeah. you can go get another Axel Anderson. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> really raking in the six Ds over there. Okay, um, 
So, I guess, first of all, was this at least somewhat expected for the Ducks? I know the, the fall-off has been a bit steep, but with a lot of the moves coming in the offseason, Corey Perry not only having his fall-off and then ultimately leaving the franchise, but the where did everything go wrong, I guess, outside of we know goaltending was pretty okay for you guys? Ooh, that is a great question. So I think that the actual where everything went wrong moment for the Ducks started in the summer of 2016. So after the 2015-16 season, the Ducks had had, they had another early playoff exit against the Predators, but that team, that season under Bruce Boudreau, they had a very interesting roster. They had made all these moves at the trade deadline to get David Perron, to get Chris Stewart, Jamie McGinn, they just had all these veteran forwards and Getzlaff was still playing at a very high level. And you still had all of those young defensemen in the pipeline. And it just felt like they were really on a good path. And even though there was an early playoff exit that got Bruce Boudreaux fired, it felt like this was this, they could sustainably be very good for a few more years. And then that summer, a couple of things happened. They fired Bruce Boudreaux and hired Randy Carlisle again, which already we're off to a great start here they bring back in they bring back in randy carlisle and then they just kind of seem to favor grit and hitting and these kind of physical players they bring in antoine vermette who hadn't really done much of anything outside of you know be with the chicago blackhawks when they won the stanley cup and then they bring in jared bowl they just make all these moves that don't really add up to the team actually being better on paper and then that next season, they go on to get to the conference final under Randy Carlisle. And that team was good, but they had to wear all of their top players into the ground in the process. So Ryan Kessler was playing a ton of minutes a night, playing a really tough deployment against the other team's top matchups. And so his body just got, for a guy who was well over 30, that was not optimal. And they were just totally relying on those guys. And so although it looked okay on the surface in that first season under Carlisle, the scene had already been set for the downfall because the the depth had been eroded. There was too many guys that were just non-factors. And then, of course, things like the expansion draft, losing Shea Theodore for what amounted to nothing, trading Sammy Votnin for Adam Henrique again, just shuffling the deck chairs around. So to me, I trace it all back to 2016, but it's it's been kind of a slow erosion as opposed to maybe one or two bad moves that really set it all off. Okay. You know, has it been uh, particularly frustrating to watch them go from having one of the league's most exciting young defenses, uh, not just a, not just at the top end of it, but I mean, it was so deep and there were just, it, it just seemed like an endless number of intriguing prospects. And then they just went through all of them. Right. Yes, it has been really interesting because the core of that is still there. Cam Fowler, Hampus Lindholm, Josh Manson, mm-hmm. you know, the, those guys, that that core group is still there. However, you lose guys like Shea Theodore, Sammy Votnin, you know, I mean, he's always going to be more of a second to third pairing defenseman who's really good on the power play, but you don't really get any added value for him. You just switch positions. And then on top of that, I think that they kind of overvalued guys like Jacob Larson and Brandon Montour, Montour, Maybe it was just a development issue, and he ends up getting traded to Buffalo for Brendan Gooley, who's essentially been kind of the same thing as Montour, just a guy who seems to have a lot of talent, 
but doesn't really put it together. So I think that their issue is that they almost banked on that depth too much and they allowed it to, they used that to justify making other moves like getting rid of Theodore. And now they don't really have anything to show for it. I mean, Jacob Larson is a bust at this point. I mean, sure, he was a, a late first round pick, but I think part of the equation in getting rid of some of those other guys was that, hey, we have Jacob Larson coming up through the ranks. And at this point, it's going to be an awesome outcome for him if he's a third pairing defenseman who's actually good right now he's just a third pairing defenseman so yeah it's been frustrating to watch that happen but i guess it gives us me more more stuff to talk about <laughs> it seemed because it seemed like it wasn't just jacob it was like oh we have shay theodore coming and then we have shay theodore you know, is a big one that is yeah. that is the big one that i think they messed up on the other ones it's looking a little better in terms of like brandon montour for example but shay theodore I mean, he could eventually win a Norris Trophy. <laughs> the Ducks have, uh, I guess, future considerations to show for it. <laughs> well, yeah, that was that was always one of the the tough ones because it was like what they they went out of their way to try and keep those three guys together, and it cost him Shea Theodore, who is now in division forever, <laughs> right. and it's like it's like twofold because now. Not only is he not on your team, but he's actively preventing you from getting into the one of those playoff spots every single season. Right, exactly. And that's the big debate among Ducks fans is, well, okay, they, they had to get rid of Theodore, but it's because they were so constrained by the cap system, or not the cap, the expansion draft system. And so mm-hmm. they couldn't really do anything about it, but you know, they could have just asked and actually found a way to get Kevin Bieksa to let go of his no-move clause. And apparently Bieksa said that Bob Murray approached him about that and then never came back to the table. Basically, Bieksa said, hey, if you're going to ask me to waive my no-move clause, then I need an extension. And I think that the right move would have been to just extend Bieksa for another year and have him waive that no-move and hold on to Shea Theodore. But instead, they kind of just found these other ways to do it, and it clearly hasn't worked out. I mean, that's not the only thing that's gone wrong, but that's a big one. Certainly one that uh, might make you want to drink. So it's time to acknowledge Breckenridge Brewery, the official beer of us here at DNVR. You can head down to their farmhouse in Littleton and order your beer for pickup as well as a meal. Plus, you can get $5 off when you use code DNVR and call 303-803-1380. You can also always pick it up from your local Davidson's liquor store, grocery store, gas station, you name it. Breckenridge Brewery is out here everywhere with your favorite beers we also have DraftKings in the house they are the number one rated sportsbook app here in colorado and they have some fantastic deals for you you can download the top rated DraftKings sportsbook app now and when you use code dnvr to sign up for a limited time all new users get a sign up bonus of up to one thousand dollars so they have you covered totally on that don't worry if you've not been able to take advantage of all of their stuff yet they're still going strong as more sports start to come back they're just adding more and more bets in all of them for you so DraftKings sportsbook is the place to get all of your action on live sports plus they're safe secure and reliable right here located in the U.S., not one of those offshore accounts or anything like that. You can withdraw or deposit funds at your convenience at any time, and they even have special odds boosts all the time. From the next couple of days, you'll be able to bet on the golf tournament coming up this weekend, and new users can get a 50-to-1 odds boost on the top golfers to win 
at the start of the tournament. Again, use that sign-up code DNVR to get your $1,000 bonus. Must be 21 or older. Colorado only. Bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus and first bet match, each up to $500. Deposit bonus requires 25x playthrough. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sports for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. All right. Second period of the DNVR Avalanche podcast presented by Davidson's Beer, Wine, and Spirits. The Anaheim Ducks, not a team you can be betting on at the moment, unfortunately. But nonetheless, as we were kind of getting into the the incredible defense that you guys had drafted once upon a time, and AJ and I have talked about this before, how you can actually, you know, they maybe a little lacking on the top end, but they've traded a six defensemen that could legitimately be NHL players. So I guess my question is, and my curiosity as a person who's pretty into the prospect side of things, what is it like covering a team that drafts so well? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, it's interesting because I think half of it is, is dealing with people's perception that the team drafts well, because yeah, they draft a lot of guys who are going to knock on the door of being NHL players or already NHL players but I think what happened, what happened with this crop of Ducks prospects is that a lot of them kind of got anointed as this next wave that was, you know, everything is going to be okay because the kids are coming. And right now it's looking like the kids are probably all going to be at least decent NHL players, but not, maybe not all, but, you know, but none of them are really going to be that next star player, at I least in the crop. Sure. At, at, at least in, at, in the crop that played this year. Once Trevor Zegras gets to the team. I think that that will change, but yeah, it's interesting because covering, covering just the prospects is a lot of fun. And so I can imagine if there's not as much prospects to cover, maybe less to talk about there, but yeah, I think it's interesting how everyone says the ducks draft really well and they do, but they don't, they just don't have that elite talent coming in. And I mean, part of that is being a good team for so long, I guess. Yeah. I mean, some of that is, you know, you're, you're drafting, 27th 24th you're trading firsts away 23rd right right every single year we're like you don't have a shot at these high-end guys mm-hmm. you know that they're the their forays into the top 10 you have trevor zegros and uh nick ritchie and <laughs> hampus lindholm right. are the last like are, are the three guys that they've taken in the top 10 the last couple times they've been there and you know, you feel pretty good about two of those guys, and then there's Nick Ritchie, which <laughs> was complicated. He's a good he's a good player. He's just not maybe tenth overall good. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, I mean, we we watch that with Tyson Jost every year, where it's yeah. <laughs> it's dude, which is you know the 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 joke has become: Are we getting Tyson Jost or Tyson Ghost? Oh, so, ouch! It's that's that's brutal. <laughs> it's it's a thing uh, for for. Abs fans that every night basically, um, but it's it is remarkable like the perception because a- anytime the I'm I'm covering the draft we're doing prospects and I'm sitting at the draft and they take a guy that I don't particularly like I'm like great now he's gonna end up really good. All right, that's always and, how it works. Yeah, well, and because it's just like I think the only time that didn't happen was 2018 when they took Lundstrom and I don't think he's any good. He is not trending. He's not trending to very good. (laughs) Yeah, he's trend. He's trending to fourth line center, which, you know, that's not the worst thing in the world. 
Yeah. So <laughs> right. you give the abs the first pick of every draft and then just let the ducks take care of the rest of it. And you'll end up with a, a really <laughs> right. good draft at that point. Right. If you have a top 10 pick, let Colorado use it for you. But if it's outside of that, it needs to be the ducks doing all the heavy lifting, especially after the first round. Yeah. Yeah. The abs track record beyond the first round is not pretty. I mean, 2009 was cool. Hey, they got 50 games out of Lindholm. Yeah. Word. <laughs> so one of the things that we want to do when we're when when talking with uh, guys who cover teams who are done with it, uh, who are done with getting to actually see their team for a little while, how would you fix it? And since we have been talking draft, let's just assume that there's, you know, let's assume Anaheim has a little bit of lottery luck if they end up somewhere in the top three. How much does that change for the Ducks? You know, the just is it franchise changing? Is it is it this huge shift in good luck? Or even if you end up with a sixth or seventh pick, is it is it fine? So you're saying if they win the lottery? Sure. Let's. I mean, if okay. they win the lottery, okay. I assume they take Lafreniere because that's what right. everybody will do, right? But let's well, let's say you get somewhere in there, <laughs> <laughs> right? Well, yeah, I think if the Ducks end up in that top three, it is pretty pretty franchise altering. If they win the lottery, like any of these terrible teams, it's going to make a huge difference because you're going to get Lafreniere, who's going to be a franchise player. So getting into that top three would be huge for the Ducks. But even if they get, let's say, you know, lower into that, I think the lowest they can go is sixth or seventh. I might have that wrong. But the way this draft is set up, that first range of seven to eight players, they're all going to be pretty good players, or at least that's what they look like right now. So it would make a pretty, pretty big difference for the Ducks. And I think that they have that extra pick in the first round. And that's something that they've been doing the last couple of years where they have their own high pick and then they get that extra first to kind of take a bit more of a home run swing. And you saw that last year where they drafted Braden Tracy with their second pick, who's kind of the opposite of an Isaac Lindstrom where he's a lot less, you know, kind of physically developed, less of a defensive player and much more of an offensive type player. And he didn't necessarily have a great season in junior this year, but I think that when, once they have that top guy locked down, that scouting staff seems a little more freed up to get a guy who's maybe a little more risky. So that's a pretty good strategy. And I think that the draft equation isn't, that's not what's wrong here with the ducks. It's everything that they've, done wrong in the last few years has been on the pro side where it's these trades not working out or it's these expansion draft situations not maybe being fully understood and so that's where you start because like you guys have been talking about the draft is not where the issues are <laughs> so if you were if you were looking at players in that top 10 who uh you think would be the best fits with the duck mm -hmm. with the ducks outside of lafreniere obviously because he's <laughs> When you're that good, you fit anywhere. It's fine. Right. Um, who do you think are some of the guys that, when looking at this draft class, would really be good fits for Anaheim? <laughs> I mean, so they would all be great fits because they're all good players and the Ducks need more of those. But I think specifically there's a couple ways you can go. So the easy answer is, of course, Quentin Byfield because they desperately need another kind of franchise center once Ryan Getzlaff retires and a Zgres Byfield one two punch down the middle would could be pretty amazing but outside of that i think it becomes a matter of what they prioritize i think jamie drysdale would solve a lot of problems for them on the back end and so if they had the third pick i think that they would really consider him because he is a right shot d and they just don't have 
they don't really have any of those right now past Josh Manson. So bringing in a Drysdale would would fix a lot for them. I don't know if he necessarily raises their ceiling that as much as some of the other guys, but he definitely fixes an issue. Outside of that, for forwards, I think Marco Rossi would he would do so much for this team because he would give them uh, just a bona fide offensive center who can create plays, who can be responsible in all three zones, and who's just going to be a pro pretty much right away. I think they just need some some added competence in, in the center lineup because yeah, you have Getzlaff and Henrique, but Henrique, he's more of a complimentary player and Getzlaff. I'm assuming they want him to lighten the load a little bit. And so I think Rossi would just, he would be a really nice fit. He's just a player. I love that. I, I just can't wait to see him play in the NHL. Honestly. Uh, so realistically, Players you're drafting this year, you know, if you don't win the lottery, are probably at least one, if not two years away from Mm -hmm. from really helping out the Ducks. So when it comes to things like free agency or the trade market, what what's the next step? Are the Ducks looking at a full rebuild? Are they just trying to tinker a little bit here and there? Are there specific things they're trying to offload or is something they're trying to bring in? So that's the thing with this team is that they they seem really unwilling to make those those seller type moves that a lot of teams in a rebuild tend to do because it it's kind of a not a tried and true way to do it but it seems to be one of the quickest ways to kind of get back to a clean cap sheet to get some more picks just to move the thing along and they have had opportunities to make those types of trades and they've consistently shied away from it Jakob Söderberg was a pending free agent last season and they re-upped him <laughs> to a five-year extension uh josh manson he has two years left on his deal and although you know two years might seem maybe it's a little too much term he's right in his prime i think he has a lot of name brand value around the league he's a physical right shot d and that trade deadline it seemed like a natural time to trade him off and there were reports that the ducks just were totally unwilling to move on from him so what I would do to answer that original question would be to start actually going in on some of those traits, but you would think that's what they would do, but more likely than not, they're, they're probably just going to be pretty quiet. That that's just the way that they seem to be going about. This is just build from within, not really touch the roster too much because I think they're still under the impression or the belief that they can be back in the playoffs or, or be back competing for a playoff spot next season, which if if certain things break right, maybe they could. But and if you especially if you look at Bob Murray's recent comments, I think he was under the expectation that they were going to be in a playoff battle this year, and it wasn't even close. So I don't know how that's moved along. It seems like that's what they still think. And so if that is the case, I don't think we're going to see too many moves from them in the off season. Is that is that patience? You know, you fast forward to next spring whenever we have the trade deadline again um because because of the way that the the scheduling might work out um even if you draft in the top three this year it might be it might be weird trying to get that guy onto your nhl team you know he might be in juniors already in europe whatever whatever he might already be gone and so there you're not you may not get immediate returns off of a top five pick this season where other years you might have um if they if they get back 
relatively healthy. You know, I mean, is, is Kessler ever supposed to come back? Is he done or no, he he's in pseudo retirement already. Okay. There... So he's, he's already, that's already, <laughs> you can't, you can't recoup anything for that guy. No. Gets left. You probably don't want to. He's kind of like your face of the mm-hmm. franchise right. wire to wire hall of fame guy. So not going to recoup any assets there. Mm-hmm. Um, is it really like Henrique Silverberg, Josh Manson? Is that is that really where the focus would have to be if they do decide to shift into, hey, let's retool this, sell off a couple of the more expensive older players and start to commit to youth more? Well, there's I think that that is one avenue is to trade off guys like Adam Henrique, who has become more difficult to trade with that extension. Same with Silverberg. Manson just makes so much sense to me. But I think one area that maybe they'll start looking into, I mean, I love watching Ricard Raquel. I think he's a, he's a really good player, but he's got two years left on his deal. And even if he's not as productive as he, he hasn't been as productive as he's been in the past, that contract is still kind of a steal, you know, with that 3.7 AAV. So he's a guy who, although you might think he maybe fits into that future mold a little bit more because he's quote unquote younger, he's 27. He's right in that prime. Maybe he makes more sense for a a, a playoff team and you can get more out of him. And also this might sound also crazy for Ducks fans, but you know, Hampus Lindholm, he's only 26, but he's another guy who, although it would probably make more sense, or at least it would make sense to keep him around for that next wave. He's got two years left on a pretty, you know, team friendly deal. And so he's another guy who you could maybe actually get a lot for him. I think it's not necessarily about just selling off guys. It's about getting value in return. And so, sure, if you're going to trade a Henrik or a Manson, you are going to get things back. But for those guys, you're going to probably extract a much higher price. And so that's what I would do. It's just it's tough to sell that when you're, you're a team that's missed playoffs two years in a row now. You're not really in a in a traditional hockey market. You got to keep fans coming to the games, and if they see all their favorite players getting traded off, that's a, that's a tough sell for a little while. But that's also part of how the league works now. You have to be yeah. willing to do that at some point. And I think if you're an owner, you have to at least have some kind of understanding of that. There might be a season or two where I'm not making as much money, so I can make more money later on. Well, and you're already two years into missing the postseason. And so you'd have to think that if they get into this third season and they're not, you know, if they're, if they're 15 points out, you know, whatever they ended up being this year, where they're not particularly close to the actual eighth seed and not a 24 team format, you know, (laughs) if they're not, if they're not in, if they're not competitive in that, you'd have to think they have to start strongly considering, Hey, we're three years into thinking we were going to compete and we're not. (laughs) Right. Yeah, and, and that is the challenge. And that's why I think next season is going to have a big impact because Bob Murray is signed through that Seattle expansion draft. So he's getting trusted with another expansion draft, which is interesting. But I do think that if they don't make the playoffs again, there's there's going to have to be a switch in management. And that's where we could start seeing things really change because I think Bob Murray has a lot of, you know, he has a lot of loyalty to this team. He has a stake in this team because this is, these are the guys he brought together and traded for. And so you bring in a fresh set of eyes, uh, just an open mind. And I think that that's, I think that's what it's going to take ultimately to see big changes with this team. It it also seems like, as you mentioned the contracts of, of both Lindholm and Raquel, 
in in the very real possibility that the salary cap doesn't move very much in the next two seasons, those contracts are even more valuable than they normally would be. Right. Yeah, exactly. And 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 that's why they're those are the guys maybe they should target. A lot From of a Colorado mentioned. perspective, I tell you, we talk a lot about Ricard Raquel. Yep. We talked <laughs> well, more think, than a few times at the deadline. I, you know what? I think we've actually, on our pod, we've we've talked about that as well, a potential Raquel to Colorado swap. We've also talked John Gibson to Colorado, but I don't know. I don't know what the appetite for so, <laughs> Here we go. We had a trade deadline podcast <laughs> uh, in which we were, we all, uh, we all came with like, hey, what's like a, a real what we would consider like a realistic kind of middle of the road proposal and then one really crazy proposal that was out there and my <laughs> crazy proposal that was out there was with the ducks where i went and got john gibson and ryan getzlaff and hampus lindholm <laughs> and like cleaned <laughs> out colorado like people were very very upset with my okay. idea yeah, but it was that, like that, that is crazy. Yes. Well, it was like it was. It, I, I mean, I gave up a lot. I don't remember all of it, but it was like I gave up. You know, I gave up Bowen Byram. I gave up multiple first round picks. Count Bowers, like Crew Bauer was in there. I think. Yeah, I yeah. Mean, gave up Crew Bauer. Like I, I cleaned Colorado out because I was like, <laughs> look, you're gonna have to if you're gonna get all these guys. Right. You know, like I. And I just envisioned, I was like, yeah, you just put Getzlaff as, as like your second or third line center with Kadri and McKinnon, and you're the best team in the NHL. You have John <laughs> Gibson in net now. Now you have Hampus Lindholm on your top pairing next to Kale McCarr. Like, that I, would be crazy. I, I still don't understand what the problem was. I thought I made the ads better. <laughs> I made them certainly older and more expensive. Right. Right. Well, but it's it was funny you mentioned that because I was I was all I pushed the John Gibson thing this year to the point where people were like, you need to let this go. If you want to come up with maybe some less insane trades than that one for AJ, maybe MSU Denver Online is the college nice. for you. MSU Denver Online puts a dynamic education at your fingertips without forcing you to decide between earning a degree and living your life. MSU Denver is the Colorado institution providing rigorous and affordable online programs taught by professors who bring the real world into the classroom. MSU Denver graduates often hang around here in Denver and use their relevant degrees to land coveted jobs. We even have a few of us here at DNVR taking classes either online or hopefully back in the classroom at some point here this summer. Third period of the DNVR Avalanche podcast presented by Davidson's Rudo and AJ here with Felix Sicard talking Anaheim Ducks. Felix, I don't know. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here, I guess. Can you give me one most underrated and one most overrated Anaheim Duck. On the underrated, I want one currently on the team. On the overrated, I'll I'll, I'll allow anyone in the franchise's history. Oh, okay. Ooh, this is tough. So I would say right now the most overrated on the team would be Josh Manson because his last two seasons, he's been an adequate defensive player, maybe slightly above average, but... I still think that there's this belief around the NHL that he's this real shutdown guy and he can, you know, you can put him on a first pairing and, and your team is all of a sudden, you know, elite defensively. And I don't think he's a bad player, but I think that that perception just doesn't line up with how he's performed, especially in the last season. Um, and then as far 
as most underrated, this is tough because you're asking this about a team that isn't very good and has missed the playoffs <laughs> two years in a row. So if I were to pick a most underrated, man, this is tough. I don't know. I, you're really, I'm really struggling here. I'll say, I'll just pull one out of left field. I think Christian juice was surprisingly decent when he arrived from Washington at the trade deadline. He had some really good metrics and he actually showed that he could play, play decently on the power play. So I'm going to go with Christian juice, just totally out of left field here. Or if you want to pick one, that's maybe a little more, you know, mainstream, I think Troy Terry, although he didn't have a big productive season that many hoped for last season, he was, he did show some, a lot of improvement in his five on five game. So let's, let's give Troy Terry a little nod here as well. Fan favorite. Yeah. The U boy. So (laughs) there you go. If you pick the right one, I guess. Thanks to the home crowd here. (laughs) (laughs) All right. AJ, you got anything else? Um, no, I mean, just, um, I think it's, it's interesting. The, the perceptions of, of Anaheim around the league and, I, I'm also curious how you view Trevor Zegras as moving forward because he was a real lightning rod last year. Um, we were we were talking a lot about forwards for Colorado. Um, we we liked him, but we were really worried that there was a big downside there. That there was a really high bust potential mm-hmm. after a really good freshman year. I'm probably less concerned about that, but. How do you see him transitioning into pro hockey and and what are your some of some of your concerns about him? I do think that he's got similar concerns to a lot of guys like him who have been so offensively dominant and at lower levels. We just mm-hmm. we don't know yet if he's going to be able to translate that right away into the NHL and if that's the expectation that's going to be a bit of an issue, but his skill level, his vision, those are things that are going to carry over. And once the physical side rounds out, like it always needs to, I think college players are a little better about that going into pros than maybe junior players, the development there. I mean, you know, these college programs with crazy budgets, I think that they're a little better positioned. So he's going to, he's going to have a huge impact for this team because he is that next in line, that next potentially top level center who can really drive the bus. So I, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say I've watched all of his games or that I've studied much about him, but he's risen up a lot of people's boards. And I think that there's a reason for that. And I'm excited to watch him play. I, I'm hoping that the the hype will be warranted this time, unlike a lot of these other guys that fans were drooling over. I mean, no, no disrespect to the hometown boy, Troy Terry, but, you know, all yeah. the... All the world junior clout didn't really yeah. uh, carry over into into the NHL this year, which is fine. You know, I think he was probably miscast a little bit as as this kind of really high end offensive guy. But yeah. yeah, I'm excited for it for Zegras. Yeah, the Terry thing was interesting because obviously there was the international heroics, yeah. uh, and then there was you know in college hockey he was part of a really really good yeah uh, DU team um, that taught he, especially the, when he was there. Their, the the top end of their forward core was a lot just, of weapons around him. Yeah. yeah, like all of those guys are you know all of those guys are at least in the AHL now, if not if not beyond. So it was <clears throat> excuse me, it was always interesting when he graduated. Kind of the perception of him, and I was really curious to see how that transition would go. And it's 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 gone about as I thought, where he's probably too good for the AHL, or he's a yeah. 
He's a very high-end AHL player if, if he can never break into the NHL full-time. But in the NHL, trying to figure out what he is is certainly still a big question because, you know, you got to – you got to be able to not be on the top line if you're yeah. not that good. He he's dominated the AHL. That's one thing I'll give yeah. him is that every time he goes down, he puts up a ton of points, puts on highlight real plays, and I think that he he's shown flashes of that here and there in the NHL. So I I'm actually a little higher on him, you know, now than I was at some points in the season. I think he did show improvement. So there's that going for him. All right. So last, uh, last, last thing from me anyway. Sorry, Rudo. No, um, you're good. We uh, awards award. It's award season oh, in the NHL. You're going Everybody... the same place I am. Okay. Oh, okay. Great. <laughs> Everybody has hot opinions about this. Um, okay. We actually are getting. Uh, we have Thomas Drance from uh, the Athletic in Vancouver coming on to talk Macar versus Hughes specifically with us. Likely will already have happened when this airs, but yeah. Yeah. Correct. <laughs> Uh, but what are your what what are your perceptions of who should win the Calder this year? Is it is it Makar or is it Hughes? Do you care oh. at all? Have you given it more than ten seconds of thought? I I feel I feel like I'm this is this is some sort of test. You know, there's there's a correct answer here. Not for podcast. me. No. Let me just say, not for me. For the for the for our fan base listening. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So this is the insanity test for the fan base. Okay. Well. It, what honestly, I've I've spent a decent amount of time thinking about it because for our pod we do like a side you know Patreon show where we do more league wide topics, mm-hmm. and we have done the we've done the award debates and when we did it a couple I mean it was it must have been a couple months ago now I'll just I'll just be fully transparent I picked Quinn Hughes yeah um, but I don't think there's a bad pick necessarily I mean McCarr was just so dominant offensively and he played fewer games. So th- I think there's a totally legitimate case for either guy. I'm just personally a big fan of watching Quinn Hughes play. I really like his style and he's got a case, but when you look at, especially when you look at offensive stats, there's not much comparison between the two guys. McCarr is really impressive. So there's my, there's my talking out of both sides of my mouth answer. I'm, I'm also curious about this. Cause this is something I want to ask all of the people uh, who are covering, not the abs. But when you're looking at awards, why is it a punishment when a player plays on a good team? Well, look, I am team reward guys on on, on good squads because it's never really My made man. sense to me. In because in the NBA, I'm I'm a Golden State Warriors fan, and so I've always felt like I you know like in the Steph Curry days, winning MVPs, I never understood why that was somehow a, a knock against him. And so I'm right. I bring that to the NHL as well. Um, if you're the best player on the best team, it's, it's, I mean, yes, it's, it's about individual contribution, but it's within the context of a team sport. So you have to factor that to some degree, just because you're, you, you dragged a, a mediocre team into the playoffs. It doesn't mean you were necessarily more valuable than a guy who took a team from good to elite, because that jump to me is actually harder than, the kind of bad to or mediocre to playoff level. So I actually picked Nathan McKinnon, by the way, just oh, for that the out there. yeah, I did pick Nathan McKinnon. So I don't know I, if you guys, I don't know if you guys actually picked Nathan McKinnon, but I did. Nope. <laughs> I did wow. Not. See, is this yeah. a hometown bias working against him though? Uh, I picked Hellebuck. Really? So, yeah. You can't pick a goalie. They have their own award. 
Yeah, well, so do skaters. Skaters have like six of them. So <laughs> I always, I okay. yeah, M- MVP is like, I mean, you don't, you don't often see defensemen win the MVP either. And it's like, True. oh, well, they have Norris, and it's like, yeah, but that's not really what this is about. Like there, are, there's, there are a ton of forward awards. Yeah, I, I went with McKinnon just because I felt like he was, he was just so good in every aspect of the game. Maybe, and I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but the Abs had a lot of injuries. And he had to step up, so I thought he was a, a fine pick. I mean, I would, I was definitely picking him over a guy like Leon Drysaddle, who was very yeah. good. But you know, it's just different hey, because look, he does. Defense would win heart trophies. Bergeron would have won one, so I'm, that's why <laughs> yeah. I took Drysaddle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I went with McHood. So you picked Hellebuck. I'm trying yeah. to think. I have McKinnon it yeah. too, so it's like okay, that's fine. It's not. It's not so like no Panera love. Uh, I would have had him at three ahead of Drysidle. Okay, so. fair enough. Nope, not with the way Drysidle <laughs> ended the season. No I way. moved off of the Drysidle thing because the defensive, the defense was just too bad. It was no one cares bad. about defense. That's yeah, why they award just, Selkies. Dude. Just points, baby. <laughs> <laughs> All, All right. right. Well, I thought that was it. That's I. I find that very interesting. You you like how Quinn Hughes plays. Was was the only part of that that I probably disagreed with. Really? He's just such yeah. a good skater. It's kind of ridiculous how I, easy he makes it look. <laughs> I watch Kale McCarr every day, man. Well, yeah. yeah I'm not, it's, it's, not like, a, it's, it's not a demerit you know, to Kale McCarr. Of, to of say course. When he it's, skates well. <laughs> and that's totally, and that's totally like, it, it feels like if you take a position, that's yeah. what it is. It's like, it's, a, it's an attack on the other guy. Well, Welcome to 2020 and talking about any subject. (laughs) (laughs) So true. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's always been because all year long, like, and I'm, I'm a numbers guy. I believe in them. I buy into them. I cite them on the pod a lot. Mm -hmm. I use them a lot in analysis. And so I couldn't just ignore them with the Hughes stuff. But Mm -hmm. what what you said uh, about taking a team from good to elite is actually why I have my car. Um, okay. because we yeah, watched fair. him, we watched him for those 12, 13 games or so where mm-hmm. McCarr wasn't on the ice for the abs and they were just okay. Like well, they, yeah, they were sorry. still solid. Yeah. I think I misinterpreted your question. I think you were asking that about the Calder. I thought you meant for like the MVP race. So yeah, for the Calder, I guess that would, yeah. Then McCarr would fit into that. Cause I, I don't know, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but the, the abs blue line outside of McCarr, you know, they've got Gerard. And I don't know. I mean, is Gerard, I feel like he's one of those names that gets thrown around as potentially really good, but I don't know. What's the rap on him? <laughs> so Gerard, Gerard is fascinating because I like he, watching him skate too, actually. Yeah. Well, he, the spin move, right? We call him. Spinny yeah, boy. So um, he, uh, he's, underrated. he's interested. Well, that's why he's interesting is because he fits inside of a thimble and, he's a better defenseman. He's better defensively than he is offensively. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just don't guys, his size, you would never naturally, especially guys who skate and move the puck the way that he does. You would not think of him as a better defender, but he is better defensively today than he is offensively. Even though he had a good offensive year, like a third of his points came in literally one week. Right. So yes. Spin boy. I, I love that. I'm going to have yeah. to start throwing that out there. Yeah. <laughs> So he's 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 also good. The Avs defense is like solid. It's pretty unspectacular, but it's 
you know, so, the, so that's where Makar comes in. Okay, exactly, because we yeah. watched it without Makar, and it was like, okay, well, now these guys are top heavy on defense, where they're much better defensively than they are moving pucks, and Makar just changes everything about that defense. Whereas Quinn Hughes is, you drop him into the Canucks defense, and it's like, oh, this is what an actual NHL defenseman is supposed to look like. <laughs> Because there's not many around him. Yeah, there. Yeah, and also Tyler Myers. There's not a lot of six, seven NHL defensemen. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah totally. So that's where for me, Makar actually separates. So I thought it was an it was an interesting point that you okay. mentioned that you mentioned in the MVP. But it's yeah. actually the reason it's the reason okay. that I I have elevated Makar is because I'm like that's fair. We well, watched there's a lot him, of Adam. There's a lot so. of Adam Fox love out there as well. That's so. that's the analytics. Like when you just look purely at at the analytics that you like, because yeah. it's not all There's analytics. It's just yeah. like the certain <laughs> analytics where they're like, "Well, I like these ones the most." Therefore, Adam Fox is my rookie of the year, and it's like, shut up. Dude. Squarely third behind both Hughes and McCarr. <laughs> if you look at the big picture, those are also the Dominic same people Kubelik. like making the <laughs> Elias Pettersson ahead of Nathan McKinnon in the MVP race. And I'm like, dude, Elijah Patterson doesn't even lead his team in scoring. Like, I'm yeah, that, that, that's there are a certain, tough one. Tough there are certain things you need to do to be the most valuable player in the entire league. And not leading your team in scoring is a big, it's you like, got, you got to be a goalie. Playoffs. You got to be Connor Hellebuck. Yeah, right. right. Well, and like Connor Hellebuck is like, Connor Hellebuck plays on a really, really mediocre team. I mean, mediocre is, is just generous at this point. I only say mediocre check. because they have like five really good forwards it's and the rest of that front. roster sucks. You, you about to get a bad text tonight, AJ. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, she's, she's very accustomed to me <laughs> dumping on the Jets, so she'll get over it. <laughs> but... I I buoy, I buoy that because I always advocate for Hello Buck for MVP. So she there you go over it. All there right. you go. Awesome. Well, I guess we're kind of wrapping things up. Uh, Felix, if you want to take the floor, anything you want to say about hockey, the Ducks, plug something you're doing, go for it. Yeah, I mean, if you want to check out some of my articles, I've been writing at thefourthperiod.com. Have an article up right now about the the Bob Murray press conference where he made the quote that. The rookies, the kids got away with murder last year. So I wrote about that. Maybe some need for accountability. Um, I'm on Twitter at Felix underscore Sicard. We also have a website for the Ducks, CrashThePond.com, where we do a podcast. We used to do it after every game, but now there's no games going on. So we're, we're going about every week, every other week. So just check that out. It's all on my Twitter page and would really appreciate it. All right. Awesome. Thank you again. Make sure to give him a follow on Twitter. All of that. Really appreciate you coming on, man. We're going to get out of here for the day. But before we go, the way Felix fixed the ducks here today is the same way you might need to fix your manscaping problem. So nice. Manscaped.com. You can head on over there. That Felix making the perfect face for my transitions right there. <laughs> uh, head on over to manscaped.com and use code DNVR to get 20% off plus free shipping. Even a great gift for Father's Day, which is right around the corner, or, or it might actually be Father's Day when this airs. I don't actually <laughs> know. But either way, it's a great product. You can get the Lawnmower 3.0, which is a fantastic trimmer with ceramic blades, takes away any nicks or or pains that it may cause you. Sure, great for the below the belt. You can also use it on your face, on your chest, anywhere you have hair. This thing works fantastically. And you can get the complete 
Perfect Package 3.0, which comes with anti-chafe deodorant, spray-on toner, even a beautiful carrying case to fit all of it on the go, whatever your trimming needs may be. Again, manscaped.com. DNVR20 is the code to get the discount until whenever this airs and whenever the next episode is on, we will catch you next time. DNVR Avalanche with Hayfully and Rudo. DNVR Avalanche with Hayfully and Rudo. DNVR Avalanche with Hayfully and Rudo. DNVR Avalanche with Hayfully.